When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty, and today I'm joined by John Trickett, Labour's Shadow Cabinet Office Minister. And we're going to be talking about the establishment and the deep state and whether Britain is still run by an elite. So, John, what's your view? Do we have an establishment still in this country? Well, first, hello, Jason. Uh, it's, it's an exciting moment doing a podcast with you. Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm sure that there is a, a British establishment. And, um, you know, when I came to London, I'd never met so many posh people. And I thought about it long and hard because I come from the heart of Yorkshire in many ways. And, you know, you do meet quite different people here, especially high up people in the hierarchy, if you like. Uh, first thing to say is I've got nothing against people who are posh. But it depends if you've got privilege, if you can get access to power. If you use it to open it up to others, that's fine. But too many of these people close it down. They only want to do well themselves. And they don't want uh, the children of other people to do well. And I'm afraid that is not how the country should be run. But that is how they operate. And I think most people know the truth is too much power is in the hands of too few people down here in the in the central part of London. And that's not just Parliament we're talking about. It's Whitehall. Yeah. The judicial system, yeah. journalism. Yeah. It's yeah. right way across. It is. And I think... Um, let, let's just say something first. Look, I think if somebody works hard, has got talent, plays by the rules, they ought to be able to do well. But the trouble is too many ordinary people are working hard, they are talented, they are playing by the rules, and they're being screwed by a system that's been designed by the people at the top to benefit them, not the rest of the country. And that simply isn't right. So this is what you'd call a kind of old boys network it's still functioning as well as it did 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It's the same people, almost the same people, the same families. And, it, and it's based on, look, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Now, I don't know if everybody listening to this podcast remembers a few weeks ago, there was that President's uh, Club event. They pretended it was for charity. It was for a bunch of blokes. So when you say an old boys club, all dressed in penguin suits, I uh, don't want to cause offence, but that's how I see it using women in quite an awful way, as as we know. But what was really going on there? They pretended it was for charity. They're actually working out how to do business with each other. And that isn't right. Look, seven, and a, seven out of ten judges went to public school. That can't be right. I don't like to mention this because you're a journalist. No, no it's fine. We, 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 we all <laughs> you have our secrets. We, we, all, have our secrets. Secrets. we, we should, all have our secrets. We should be open about this yeah, as well. Yeah, so. and I think over half of all the journalists went to a private school now, I listened to your comrade and colleague, who is the media editor, the media editor for BBC, mm -hmm. a very establishment figure, and he made this interesting speech. He said, 
every single judgment, almost, that the media has made, I'm not talking about the mirror now, yeah. the, the rest of the media, the mainstream media has made in the last 10 or 15 years, they've called it wrong. Whether it was the war in Iraq, whether it was the crash, whether it was Jeremy taking on the powers that be in the Labour Party, they called him all wrong. And, it, and why? Why? No, it's not me that's saying this. It's the bloke who runs this BBC. Amalaha. Yeah, that's yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. He says, because journalists come from a different class from the rest of the country. They're too privileged. They don't come from poor backgrounds and they don't engage with people from poor backgrounds like the people I represent. Now, if the mainstream media are all in a bubble, and it's the same bubble that these people uh, elsewhere that we're talking about, the judges and the rest of it, the same schools, same universities, same clubs, same golf courses, same charity events, they're not going to reflect the nature of the country. And I could have told people, but nobody listened, look, uh, the crash is going to happen. The war was wrong. Uh, Jeremy will win the leadership and he'll change the way the country thinks about itself. Because I know in the country there's something profoundly uneasy about what is going on and where it's happening. I read an estimate the other day, by the way, this is interesting. It's something called the High Pay Society, or Institute, whatever it's called. They reckon 5,000 people run this country. 5,000 in a country of 60 million. And these 5,000 are, are who exactly, do you reckon? Well, uh, it's a range of people. I think, let, let's get it clear, I'm not saying it's 5,000, let's say it's 10,000, yeah. but still out of 60-odd million. Uh, people who often went to the same schools, the same universities, you can see them wear the same clothes, they talk the same, the same vocabulary, the same way of talking, the same way of thinking. The judges, the journalists, even a lot, quite a number of politicians, I'm not I'm wanting to exempt them. The cabinet, uh, the civil service, <clears throat> top businesses in the city of London and elsewhere, they're interacting with each other in a way which uh, I won't mind. But the fact is, you've got people working out, playing by the rules, talented, not doing very well. And why should that be? It's because the rules have been designed, designed by these people to benefit them, not the rest of us. I'm going to come on later about how maybe we can labor and power could change this sure. but, but i'm interested in the moment if you've got these five thousand people or ten thousand people you get one you get groupthink, yeah but you also get a kind of institution yeah which is kind of used to doing it in a certain way don't yeah. you? so that makes it very difficult to bring in re reform change yeah. is that right i feel personally and i'm sure i reflect the views of many millions of people that many of the decisions which have been taken in the last 15, 20 years have not been in the wider interest of the country as a whole. And when you have a discussion about it, you try to say, actually, the country's not working very well for people, you get shouted down quite often. And people say that's rubbish because the group think, as you called it, the idea there's a consensus, which the BBC and these other people all buy into, just can't think outside the box. Uh, they can't think outside the box because they haven't engaged, as that guy just said, the media book at the BBC, because they don't come from that background. Now, I spoke to a bloke, Robert Peston, he, he works for ITV, <laughs> he's written a book, and he said, I've got it wrong. And he's admitted it. Actually, I don't know if he's actually said why he got it wrong, but maybe he goes to the same dinner parties, uh, the rest of that small elite of people, 
Jon Snow, he's on Channel 4. When they had that terrible fire, only a few miles away from where we are now, we're in the Outer Commons at the moment, Jon Snow goes Channel 4. Uh, we didn't have a clue that this kind of thing was going on. Why not, is my question. But look, I don't want to go about journalists because politicians are always blaming journalists. But the truth is, there's quite a narrow group of people, isn't there? They've got a common view. They go to the, the same kind of background, have the same conversations. It's just not very good. And I think the country is suffering from all that as a consequence. Now, in America, they call this the, the deep state. You know, they say it's kind of like the establishment. It's not just kind of where you're shared background but it's also a kind of a mentality as well yeah. so you've got kind of you know big business lobbying yeah. you've got ministers who leave their job <clears> immediately <throat> and then they have this revolving door and they go straight into jobs which are related to their ministerial sure. brief is that part of a problem as well do you think well look here's a story um george osborne uh, your listeners will remember him. He was the Chancellor of the Exchequer. At this point, our listeners are sort of booing, but carry on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one minute he's a Chancellor of the Exchequer, and what's his job? Partly his job is to regulate the financial industry and to work out how tax should be uh, levied and those kind of things. Him and Cameron make a right mess of the referendum. The next thing is out of work, uh, you know, resigning from Parliament and he's off. But what's he doing? He's now helping to run the finance industry. And the idea that one minute you can be the Chancellor of the Exchequer regulating finance, and everybody knows there's something wrong with finance in our country, one minute, and then the next minute he's running the finance industry with all the secrets from the Treasury in his head. I don't think that can stack up very well. There's a committee that's meant to look into these things. It's meant to say, yes or no, you can do that job, George, Mr. Osborne. This is the advisory committee on business appointments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A COBRA, as we uh, call it. In our... What did they do in the case of Mr. Osborne? Now, and the reason why is he didn't even ask him. He just went and did it. And then the next thing he does is now running the London Evening Standard. So he's doing both this finance job and running a London newspaper, though he's pretending that he's in favour of the Northern Powerhouse. But he's running the clues in the title, the London Evening yeah. Standard. Uh, how come that is happening? But this is happening every day. Um, I don't want to say particular individuals, but if you have a minister who one day is in charge of the health service and therefore the pharmaceutical industry, a few days later then working for a pharmaceuticals company, how can that be right? And this is the but, case of former Tory health minister Andrew Lansley, for example. Yeah, a number of them, actually, when you come to look at it. But this is what we call it the revolving door. One minute you're uh, regulating an industry on behalf of the public, supposedly, but maybe somewhere in the back of your mind you're thinking, I don't want to find out with these people too much because they might give us a job the day after cease to be a, a minister or an MP. It can't be right, all that, but that's what goes on. This committee you've just talked about um, as far as I can see it's never turned anybody down as far as I can see they've never refused and even if they did they don't have any teeth but there's Osborne he doesn't even bother to ask them so this is not great now look let me tell you a little story so two years ago I meet a 26 year old woman in my constituency I'll make it quick she comes she says John she says I left school with no qualifications I'm working in a shoe shop and I thought, it's not satisfying, she said. So she went off to work in uh, an institution for people who've committed crimes who have got serious mental health problems. And she says, John, 
I found out what I can do in life. I can help people. Now, how many of us would ever want to put us? But she thought it was wonderful. No qualifications at all. So she decided to go off to train to be a nurse specialising in this, which very few people in our country would want to do. What happens then? Cancer. 24 years old. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. She has cancer, so she's off work. So she overcomes a school, bad schooling. She overcomes cancer. She goes back to work and says, right to the boss, can I have my training now? Guess what? The Tories have stopped the bursaries. So she can't get on in life. And yet here's a woman I've never met, or very rarely met somebody so charismatic. And I was deeply touched by meeting her, but I thought, what a country. And then two, two days later in the papers, there's another 20, I think he's 26, the Duke of Westminster. What happens? One of the richest men in the world certainly in the top 100 in our country. His dad dies. Well, I'm sorry about his dad dying. He inherited like hundreds of millions of pounds. Meanwhile, that lady that I've just talked about, she's paying tax. What happened with him when he inherited all that money? Barely a penny in tax was paid because they rigged the system in such a way. Now, what kind of country are we living in that that can happen? Do you fear that when Labour gets into power that this establishment will attempt to kind of thwart what you want to achieve? Well, they will certainly want to continue with their privileges. And, uh, you know, you might remember, uh, you will remember our election manifesto last year, which we wrote in two weeks, by the way, because the election came as a bit of a... And it talked about, we're going to build a country for the, for the many and not for the few. So we were talking about this. Labour was actually talking about something quite quite amazing i think and people got it because the country is being run by a few for a few on behalf of a few and the many are locked out now we're going to change him and the few no doubt will have their own ideas about how to find the way around labor but as i let's say there are five thousand or ten thousand members of this elite we've been talking about but there are five hundred thousand members of the labor party so democracy will have spoken if we win the election and we will expect, you know, the country to change in the way that millions of people would, would have voted for. It will be the many against the few. Yeah. What, what I'm interested in is how do you go around changing a, a, a culture where you, as you said, you know, the majority of judges are male and yeah. privately educated. Yeah. How, how do you go around yeah. making the civil service more open yeah. and kind of... How do you stop a kind of yeah. a, a, a media, as you say, mm-hmm. which is, is, is of an elite in itself? Yeah. Look, I think the first thing is I've been asked by Jeremy to prepare the Labour Party for government. That's my job. And uh, we're working hard on it in this office. And I will produce a a plan for every single department in the whole government. And that plan will be detailed, it will be authoritative, and it will be credible, and we're going to publish it. And uh, one of the cores is, one of the core elements in every single department is what we call increasing diversity. Why shouldn't people from working class backgrounds or people or women or disabled people or black people get to the top and be uh, allowed to reflect their experiences? Because you know what? If the people who are making the decisions about our country come from a narrow elite who've never really suffered or struggled to get by or had to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, 
then you're not going to get a set of decisions that work for most people. But if you start to promote people and bring people forward from those backgrounds, I think that will begin to reflect. But we'll also begin... So we want to change the personnel a little bit, and that'll take a bit of time, but we're also going to change the rules. The idea that you can walk out of a department, let's say you're a general buying tanks, and the next day you're working for the tank company selling selling tanks to your mates, your other generals or field marshals, whatever they might be. That is not right. So we're going to tighten up the rules to kind of prevent all of that uh, back, back scratching thing that goes on at the present time. And we're going to open it up. By the way, I'm, I believe in devolution. I mean, look, in Yorkshire, the average uh, amount of uh, wealth that a worker produces is about £24,000 a year. Did you know twenty fourth? Bear that in mind. Did you know that in London and the, uh, in London the city is three hundred thousand pounds? So to create the same amount of wealth that a person achieves in a single year in the city of London, a person in Yorkshire has to work twenty years. I mean that is completely balmy. And then we've got a quarter of a million children. It's heartbreaking living in poverty in Yorkshire. Quarter of a million in poverty in Yorkshire children. And I just think there's no moral or ethical justification for the way in which our country is being run for a few rather than for the many. So I think when people hear what we're saying, listen to Jeremy and we make the point so we show that this is how we're going to do it, I think hopefully the country will warm to us and understand we have to turn some of the ways we do things on the head. Do, do you fear that the establishment will try and fight back? I mean, I've, I've, you know, over Chris Mullin wrote that book, A Faux British Coup, about this kind of yeah. fictional Labour Prime Minister called yeah. Harry Perkins, yeah. and the kind of security services plotted with their friends in the media and the rest of the establishment yeah. to try and bring him down. It, it, does that, is that no, a spectre you think uh, could happen? In- I'm, not, I'm not one of those sort of paranoid people who, who think that that's the case. But look, I mean, I, I met a senior civil service before the election, civil, civil servant, I won't say who it was, but somebody quite high up. And uh, he was talking about, well, it looks like Labour might actually win this election. What shall we do now? And uh, he said, you won't be ready, will you? And I said, yes, we will. He said, well, look, I can help you with your first couple of bills. I've got a couple of small bills Labour could get on with until we work out how you're going to change the country. And I said to him, if you really think we have trying to change the country around just to pass a couple of small bills, you're making a big mistake. How about nationalising the railway industry, which is in such a mess at the moment? Oh, he said, that's going to take months. Months to do. So, funnily enough, we didn't win the election. The Tories obviously didn't win it either, but they were back in power by a deal. <clears throat> they, those two little bills you were talking about, the Tories then. <laughs> <laughs> so, how does the establishment fight back? I don't think it necessarily causes massive sort of disruption, uh, but we have to be clever. We have to have the support of the millions of people we hope are going to vote for us. We have to be very intelligent and we have to have a programme which suggests radical change, but can we do it in a way which people can understand and feel familiar with? And that's why we're on, even now, with the election quite a long way away, we're going to publish our plans, what it's going to be like in government, and hopefully when we've got the millions of people behind us, the British establishment will recognise that the time for change is here. We've happened, it's happened before this. Uh, in 1945, the country had been run, you know, after the war, the country had been run by a certain group of people for far too long. When And I remember looking at my granddad's notes and stuff when he came back. After he died, he had a tin box. There were all sorts of stuff in there about his hopes for a better Britain. 
And they all came back and they voted for Attlee, Major Attlee, the Labour Prime Minister. The, the British establishment didn't fight back. They accepted that the moral ascendancy belonged with Labour and the need to change. And that is where we've got to get to by whenever the election is, so that the, you know, the arguments we're making, the critique of our way our countries work, are seen not only to be intellectually correct, but also the morally right direction to go in. And on that basis, you've got to hope and expect that people will accept the democratic majority decision that a Labour government with a radical transformative agenda should be allowed to get on with its business. And, and but you've already seen the issues with, like, you know, the Tories are funded by a, a small handful yeah. of, of very rich yeah. donors. Yeah. And <clears throat> you, you could see a scenario where those rich donors plus a media owned by two or three Trinity Mirror, obviously exceptional, <laughs> by two or three yeah. kind of yeah. very wealthy individuals, most of them both based overseas, yeah. plus a kind of civil service, yeah. which is yeah. not necessarily kind of, you know, it's still quite impartial, but it has a very kind of rigid way of, yeah. of operating. Yeah. That's going to make life quite hard, isn't it? If we're not... First of all, if we win millions of people to vote for a, a, an agenda, we won't hide anything. It'll be clear that we're off into the word transformation. We're going to transform our country. If millions, we persuade millions of people that that is the right way to go forward, then we will have enormous authority when we go into uh, Downing. Jeremy goes into Downing Street, and we will work on the, on that basis. I think there will be people who will feel that their privileges are going to uh, change. But they've got to see, in the end, it's better for the country if those people, the Einsteins or the great artists or even the great footballers or whatever it might be, who are out there but whose talents never get a chance because they're being held back by a society that doesn't work for them, they're going to help to change our country and make it a better and wealthier place. So, look, we... We're going to make the case. We're going to see where we get to. I'm not going to assume that we're going to face any kind of, that kind of resistance. I think there's a habit of mind. You talked about it. People have got into a habit of mind down in, down in London here that we, the country can only be running in a certain way. Well, no. The country can be running in a different way. We're going to say uh, politely and respectfully and but firmly and we are going to bring about the change that we're going to promise because what people are sick of is politicians who say one thing and do another and we are absolutely determined that will happen anybody who's seen jeremy knows he won't be bent he won't buckle he won't be bought and he will do in office what he's promised to do to the british people i've short of time but i'd just like to ask sure. one other question do you think this, the country is sometimes too differential? Because you get this feeling sometimes that people kind of like, kind of take it on the chin too much in terms yeah. of how when they hear a posh accent yeah. or they, yeah. they, they see somebody in position of authority and they don't dare challenge it or they yeah. almost kind of like doff their cap a bit. Well, Do you think that, uh, I'll tell you what, I come from quite a humble background, really, I think. And, you know, nobody else had, uh, in my family had ever got anywhere in life in, in that respect, the kind of achievements which I'd made. And when I came to Parliament, it's 22 years ago now, uh, I felt completely out of my death, depth. I didn't dare speak to anybody. Uh, I felt embarrassed about how I talked. And I thought, 
I didn't even speak to people that were sitting next to on, on the green benches, and I went through some sort of major personal crisis. Though I felt as though I'd been strong as an ox and absolutely, you know, very, very determined to achieve the kind of political objectives I wanted to achieve. But look, I found it really difficult. And when you talk to people with a certain manner, it's quite difficult to stand up to them uh, from if you come from my background. So I can only speak for myself. Yeah, there is too much deference. I didn't feel deferential. I just felt like, should I be here? Is this place for somebody like me? You know, and I still think that now to, to a certain degree. Uh, you know, and it's been designed in that way to make people from fairly ordinary backgrounds feel odd, and uh, to feel as if this place is bigger than than them. But you know, I remember my grandmother. She was uh, very interested in socialist ideas and, and ethical ideas and she used to teach us that you don't bow down to anybody and you don't anybody bow down to you and uh that's what the attitude it came with but i found it quite difficult has it changed at all i mean i think you no, know not really i don't think it's changed very much um uh it, i don't think it's changed very much mps come from all kinds of backgrounds look still you know a huge number of them from fairly very privileged backgrounds um <clears throat> And it's quite often, sorry to say this in politics, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And you get a job, you become an MP, you become a minister because you've been connected with somebody. Here's a story. When I was, the first week I was elected, I came down here. I had not a clue what I was doing. I've only been to London three times in my life. And I got on the train going back, thank God I'm going back home. <laughs> and a quite a senior Labour minister, is a bloke called Alan Milburn, some people will remember oh, him. Right, he, yeah. he said to, he came up to me, he said, oh, I've seen you. He said, I know who you are. He said, uh, you just got into Parliament. And I said, yeah. He said, well, look, let me give you a bit of advice. He said, you can rise up the ladder if you attach us to somebody who's going up the ladder in front of you. They'll pull you up, but you've got to show loyalty to them, and they'll pull you up the ladder. And I've never forgotten it, because I did the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but you've made it in the end. Well, uh the day I walked up, because uh, I worked in Downing Street, number 10, for a little while uh, with Gordon Brown, <clears throat> it was kind of quite an awesome moment. And let me just say, it's only the Labour Party, I think, in of the political parties that exist at the moment, could offer somebody like me, from my background, the opportunity to work in number 10 Downing Street. And every day I went in there, I tried to remember for five minutes first what it had been like working on building sites, the kind of people I met, how hard it was, especially in the winter in cold weather working outside. And I thought, that is why I'm in politics, not because of the glamour of working in, in Downing Street. But yeah, I mean, it's possible, but the fact that I've made it doesn't prove that the country's working just in a just way. Most people don't get up the ladder because the system's working against them and we're going to change the system. That's brilliant, John. Thank you very not much for that. Um, You're probably going to tell me off. No, I've just got to add a tiny bit to say... My staff are going to go mad with me. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Uh, do go to our, our website, which is mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes. That's A-Y-E-S, where you can subscribe, leave comments. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter as at JBTMirror. And John is on Twitter as... Yeah, I, uh, my handle, as they call it in technical language... Is J O N, so that's how my first name is John underscore Trickett, T R I C K E double T. Do follow me. That's brilliant. Thanks very Thank much. You. I'm sure Thanks they much. will. We'll be back soon. Thank you.